But as Brother Greg said, I am Nathan Workman, my brother. Many of you may have known, uh, interned here about a year and a half ago, Jacob Workman. Um, my wife and I are uh, currently living in Clarksville. I am from Hawkinsville, Kentucky, born and raised. Uh, and like he said, I work here uh, in Todd County on uh, uh, Mr. Gary and Aaron Cox uh, farms. Uh, and I've worked there for many years. Uh, so I, I do consider Trenton to be my second home. Um, but thank you all again uh, for allowing me to preach. It is an honor to me um, to be able to preach here tonight. Uh, and I am uh, very excited uh, to get into Philippians chapter 3. So with that said, let us open up in a word of prayer. God, thank you for bringing us here tonight to worship you together. Thank you for allowing me to preach your word tonight. God, this is a heavy and weighty responsibility. So, Lord, I pray that I will handle your word rightly and that all that I say will be glorifying to you and useful for your people. God, this word in Philippians tonight should not just increase our knowledge, but it should affect the way in which we live. But this cannot be, God, without your spirit taking your words into the hearts of your people. So I pray that you will use this sermon tonight to sanctify your church. God, we are halfway through the week. It is Wednesday. And we need this word tonight to sustain us until we can gather again with our local church on Sunday morning. God, we ask these, uh, these things in your name. Amen. All right, so all throughout Scripture, Christians are described using different analogies. Sometimes we are referred to as farmers, sowing the good seed and reaping a harvest. Other times as soldiers fighting spiritual battles and advancing the gospel. But in this passage that we will cover tonight, Paul uses an intense running analogy uh, to describe his Christian life. So our text, as Brother Greg mentioned, is from Philippians chapter 3. And in, and in this passage, Paul portrays himself as a disciplined athlete. Enduring to the end, giving all that he has in order to reach his goal and attain the prize that awaits him at the finish line. So if you have played basketball with me across the road here at Trenton, you would know that I am not much of a runner. But back in the day, I was an athlete. So I understand and am familiar with the language that Paul is using to describe his Christian life. Many of you may be runners. Many of you may not be runners. And some uh, may have never even been athletes, but we all know what it's like to push ourselves in uh, some capacity towards a goal. So all of us here tonight can relate to Paul as he depicts his Christian life from the viewpoint of a runner in a race. So if you would, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we will be covering uh, verses 12 through 16. While you're turning there, let me give you some context to bring you up to speed because we're jumping about three-quarters of the way into Philippians. So in chapter 1, Paul lays out two major themes that will come to a head here in chapter 3. In verse 21 of, of chapter 1, Paul utters the famous line that many of you have, have, are familiar with, I'm sure, where he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
So within that verse lies two important doctrines, sanctification and glorification. These same two doctrines will be found in our text tonight. So if we fast forward from chapter 1 to chapter 3, uh, and we look at verses 8 and 9, the preceding verses to what we will cover tonight, Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So what Paul is doing here in chapter 3 and in the entire, uh, also the entire book of Philippians is he's setting before the Philippians a goal of utmost importance. And that is a goal to gain more of Christ. So with these two texts in view from chapter 1 to chapter 3, Paul is teaching the Philippian church that Christians are made more like Christ and they gain more of Christ through sanctification, which he refers to in verse 22. If you look down, uh, or chapter 1, verse 22, he refers to sanctification as fruitful labor. Sanctification in its most simplistic term or uh, definition means growing in Christ-likeness. Spiritual maturity is another term we commonly use for sanctification. The more spiritually mature a person is, the more they resemble Christ. As the believer grows in Christ's likeness, they become more holy, loving, humble, patient, and so on. So in turn, the believer's relationship with Christ becomes more intimate. They gain more of him as they become more like him. But, as verse 21 of chapter 1 reveals, we will not gain him fully while we are in the body. We need new bodies, perfected bodies without sin in order to gain him or know him in full. That is why Paul refers to death as gain for the believer. Christians will gain Christ in full when we obtain the resurrection from the dead through our glorification. So to say it a little more simply, in the body we can gain more of Christ through sanctification. And through glorification with new bodies, we will gain him fully. Church, this is why these doctrines are so important for us to understand. We don't need to learn these doctrines in order to bolster our Christian vocabulary. We need to learn them because they result in a greater personal knowledge of our Savior. So hopefully now we are caught up with Paul's train of thought. And I will begin reading the text before us tonight, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul begins verse 12 
with a humble assessment of his current condition. He evaluates himself and confesses in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Well, we can immediately infer from this verse that Paul admits he has not yet reached perfection. He is still a sinful man like all of us are. But what is it that Paul has not obtained yet? To answer this, we must look back at the preceding verses. In verses 10 and 11, Paul says that I may know him, him being Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying in verse 12 that he has not yet obtained the resurrection from the dead. He has not yet reached glorification. But what does that mean? Well, as we discussed earlier, Paul is referring to the resurrection of all believers' bodies at the return of Christ. These are the new and perfect bodies that resemble Christ's body. So again, we see here the doctrine of glorification. So Paul recognizes that he has not yet been glorified. Therefore, he has not yet gained enough of Christ. He's not Christ-like enough. If Paul, who is arguably the most Christ-like person to have ever walked this earth, confesses that he isn't perfect and that his knowledge of Christ and conformity to him has not yet reached completion, how much more should we think this way? This church is the first step towards spiritual maturity. You must examine yourself and confess, I have not arrived yet. There is much ground left to cover. My sanctification is not yet complete. And this acknowledgement will propel you towards the next step of maturity, which is a passionate pursuit of Christ. In the second half of verse 12 and on through verse 14, Paul describes his own passionate pursuit of Christ. Before we unpack these verses, though, I think it would be beneficial for us to know that the writing of this letter to the Philippians, Paul had been a Christian for over 30 years. We need to keep this in mind, church, because what we will read in these verses are the words of a seasoned Christian. The great apostle Paul himself, mature as he was in the faith, still continues to relentlessly pursue a deeper, greater, and more intimate knowledge of Christ. Some of you have been Christians for many years. Some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Some of you have been walking with the Lord maybe only a few months. But all of us, no matter our spiritual age, should have the same desire to know Christ more, the same desire that Paul had. So if you would look back with me at the text. Here we will see Paul describe his passionate pursuit beginning in the second half of verse 12. Paul says, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we will break down these verses into three subsections. Paul's resolve, Paul's motivation, and Paul's goal. 
As we have just discussed, Paul has confessed that he is not yet there. He has more spiritual maturing to go. And this confession brings forth a mighty resolution within him. Paul continues in the second half of verse 12, But, but I press on to make it my own. Paul, church, resolves to press on. The phrase press on in the Greek means to move decidedly and rapidly towards an object. This is athletic language. Like a runner in an ancient Greek race, quickening his pace as he moves down the track towards the finish line, so Paul pictures himself as a runner. And the race that he is running is the race towards spiritual maturity. Steve Lawson, speaking on this verse, says, Paul is widening his stride in prayer. He's pumping his arms in the study of Scripture. He's accelerating his legs in worship, pushing out his chest in ministry. He's expending every ounce of energy within him, making every effort to press on to spiritual maturity. He is laboring to the point of exhaustion in his spiritual life. He is holding back nothing, but leaving it all on the track of life. When we think of world-class runners or athletes, discipline may be one of the first things that comes to our minds. That's because we know that the greatest of athletes must live lives of discipline. <coughs> Excuse me. They are disciplined with what they eat. They are disciplined in their sleeping schedules. And they are disciplined in their training and conditioning. The same can be said of the most spiritually mature Christians. <coughs> Excuse me. The same that can be said of the most disciplined athletes can be said of the most spiritually mature Christians. In order to grow spiritually, we must live disciplined lives. And there are practical ways in which a Christian can do this. First thing that comes to mind is read and study your Bible. Spend serious and unrushed time in prayer. Participate in the gathering of the body at the local church for corporate worship. Serve in your local church. Give money to your local church and support trusted missionaries. Evangelize your neighbors, your co-workers, friends and family. Daily confess sin and die to it. These are just to name a few. But pressing on in these spiritual disciplines will over time further us down the track, so to speak. God will use these disciplines through the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and cause us to produce spiritual fruit and growth and holiness. We will slowly but surely begin to resemble Christ more and more. Paul has assessed himself humbly, and he now views his imperfection in light of Christ's perfection. Paul sees the great distance yet to cover between himself and his Lord. And yet, he resolves not to stop, not to coast, but to press on toward spiritual maturity. When we humbly assess ourselves and see more fully the perfection and beauty of Christ, when we see his character revealed to us in Scripture, we, like Paul, will recognize the infinite distance that lies between us and Christ. But will we resolve to press on also? 
what could be so great of a motivation that Paul decides not to stop or slow in his pursuit, but instead to press on with increased intensity? What could possibly motivate us to continue in our own spiritual disciplines? Well, we find Paul's motivation at the end of verse 12. Paul says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Friends, Paul's motivation to press on towards spiritual maturity is the same motivation for every Christian in this room. And it is a glorious gospel motivation. When Paul thinks back to his conversion on the road to Damascus, he views with clarity what truly took place. Paul sees that he was not seeking Christ. He was instead seeking Christians to kill. And yet Christ appeared to him and took hold of him. Christ seized Paul for his own. Of course, I know what you may be thinking. Paul's conversion story is unlike mine. And you are right, Paul's conversion is unique. And it's unlike any of ours here tonight. But the principle of Paul's conversion and the truth of what happened to him is the same for each of us. Before you were a Christian, you were like the men described in verse 18 of this chapter. You were, I was, an enemy of the cross of Christ. And yet Jesus in his grace took hold of you. He made you his own. You are Christ's possession. To be seized by Christ is to be saved by him. Think about this, Christian. You have been taken hold of by the one who took your sins upon himself and bore God's wrath in your place upon the cross. Do you know what it means to be made Christ's possession? To be made Jesus' own, Jesus's own means that his righteousness has been made your own. His death and resurrection have been made your own. It means that you are his and he is yours. The truth of this affects us, doesn't it? It affected Paul. Paul's knowledge of and meditation on this gospel truth stirs great affections within his heart for his Savior and a deep longing to know him more and more. Do you, dear friends, who have been saved by Christ, desire to know him more? Do you pray for such a desire? The more you know of the love and sacrifice of Christ, how can you not desire to know him more? But as we come to verse 13, one question has still been left unanswered. What lies at the end of the finish line? What is Paul pressing on towards? In verse 14, we will find the answer, but we must not skip over verse 13. In this verse, we will hear the inspired words of Paul coaching us on how to run the race well to the end. Look with me at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Picture with me for a moment the photo finish that captures a runner nearing the finish line. He is reaching out with everything that he has. His chest is extended. His arms are fully reaching. His fingers are grasping for the prize. This is the picture Paul captures for us as he describes his own race to spiritual maturity. 
We can even hear in the text that he is exerting himself to the limit, straining every spiritual muscle, expending all of his energy in order to know Christ more. We too should give our all in order to lay hold of Christ. Friends, this is not a lazy and nominal Christian life. Paul and the text do not allow that type of thinking. This is a daily grind. It's one foot after another, day by day, eyes fixed straight ahead. And if this sounds like more than you can handle, keep heart, dear Christian, because it is Christ who carries you along. Your labor will not be in vain. We also have in verse 13 a warning, which Paul uses for our instruction. Like a wise coach on the sideline, Paul calls out, Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Paul knows the dangers of a runner who is nearing the finish line but looks back, taking their eyes off of the prize, even if only for a moment. Christian, do not let your past failures or even, and hear me here, your past failures or even your past victories distract you from your goal. Keep your eyes fixed firmly on Christ. One more thing we should note is that Paul is writing in the present tense. He does so because sanctification is always continuing for the believer while we are in the body. Our race to spiritual maturity began at the moment of conversion and it continues until our final breath. Every moment of every day. We are actively pressing on toward the goal. Well, Nathan, what is that goal? Paul describes his goal in verse 14 with the words, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God is Paul's glorification, which means Paul's goal is a fullness of relationship with Christ. Jesus himself is the prize that Paul longs to obtain. When the believer is glorified at death or at Christ's return, we will be in his presence for all eternity. We will know him with a greater knowledge than we have ever known him before. There is no more sin, no more weakness disease, fatigue, or intellectual inadequacies to hinder us. This, this, my friends, is the living hope that we have. And it is what makes the laboring and discipline all worthwhile. Our reward is the greatest prize. No prize on this earth could come close to comparing to the pearl of great price, the treasure of all treasures, our Redeemer. Jesus, the Messiah. So this view of a runner in a... This is Paul's view of a runner in a spiritual race with Christ as the goal. And it begins to change our thinking of the importance of spiritual maturity. Look with me at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. The mature believer who Paul is commanding the Philippians to be, in verse 15, thinks the same way that Paul thinks. 
This means that a mature believer is one who, like himself, recognizes that they have not yet arrived. And the same goes for each of us. We are not perfect. We are not as Christ-like as we should be. There is still more of Christ to gain while we have breath yet in our lungs. For the person who thinks that they are mature enough in their faith to coast to the end, or to let up in their spiritual disciplines because maybe there's no more room for growth, that person is actually an immature Christian. And that is because the more you learn of Christ, the more you treasure him. And the more you grow in his likeness, the more you realize how much you need to press on. Part of our continual growth is a continual recognition that I am not there yet. I have so much more ground to cover. But one day I will be there. Either at death or Christ's return. I am confident of this because of God's promise in chapter 1 verse 6. That he will bring to completion what he began in us. So clinging to his promise... We continue on toward spiritual maturity. So we end with verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What is Paul commanding the Philippians and us to hold true to? It is the truth of the gospel that we have attained in the scriptures. It's the truth that Christ, who is infinitely greater, infinitely more worthy, And infinitely more beautiful has pursued you. He has grabbed you, saved you, and will not let you go. So friends, do not be content with where you are spiritually. But run hard after him. Never letting up. Never looking back. But with eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. Friends, let the promise of completion and the truth of what we have attained fuel your running. And never let up. So we have finished now our exposition of the text. But let's now draw four applications from the text. My first application will be to all Christians. And the last three will be to different groups of Christians. So the application to all Christians is never lose the wonder of the gospel. Paul never lost the wonder of the gospel. And neither should we. Growing in spiritual maturity involves going deeper into the gospel and never beyond it. All of our growth comes from the outflow of the gospel. The gospel message is as vital for us Christians as it is for non-believers. Even the great apostle Paul continually stood in awe of the gospel. And that motivated him to gain more of the one who had given his all for him. So Christian... Revel in the good news of Jesus daily. Marvel at his redemption. Boast in his cross. Fill your affections with Christ and meditate daily on this truth. He has made you his own. We have been redeemed from the bondage of sin and delivered from destruction because Jesus has rescued us. Oh, I pray that we never lose the wonder of his rescuing love. So now the last three applications. The first is an application to the young Christian. 
Young Christian, praise God that by his grace you have been saved in your youth. He has given you a lifetime to press on towards spiritual maturity. Don't waste the time that he has given you. There are many things ahead of you, many goals that you will want to accomplish. But let gaining Christ be your number one goal. Discipline yourself in your Bible reading and in prayer. Set these habits now and walk in them well into your old age. Use the energy of your youth to pursue Christ and run hard after him. The next application is to the aging Christian. These are for those who are in between youth and old age, who are in the busy seasons of life with full hands, working full-time jobs, and maybe even raising children. But aging Christian, don't allow the busyness of life to cause you to take your eyes off of the prize that is Christ. Continue in your spiritual disciplines. Make more time for those disciplines by stewarding your time well. And if you have not been faithful in your disciplines, it's not too late to repent and start now. As life becomes exhausting, kids and work have drained your energy. Keep straining for Christ. Instead of resting on your phone, find your rest in God's word. Instead of looking forward to the weekend to recharge your batteries, look forward to the Sunday gathering for the recharging of your soul. Rest in prayer with your Savior instead of watching another TV show. Let your resolve, aging Christian, be the same as Paul and press on. The last application is to the aged Christian. For those who have been through the busiest seasons of life, who now find themselves retired, the ones who are spoiling grandkids instead of raising babies. Aged Christian, take advantage of the increase in, uh, in your free time. Spend more time in the word and in prayer. Serve more in your local church. Maybe even find some younger folks in your local church to disciple and pour yourself into. And yes, I know that you are aging and your physical muscles may be weakening as well as your energy level. But your spiritual muscles and uh, energy are growing stronger with each and every discipline. So age Christian, don't coast to the end, but run full speed into the arms of your Savior. Beloved, be encouraged by this passage. Old age is not something to be despised. Because in light of these verses, you are closer to the finish line. You are closer to gaining the prize of Christ fully and finally. So press on to the end. And I want to conclude this sermon with a word of encouragement. This race that Paul has described is not an isolated one. This race is not meant to be run alone. We, by the grace of God, are running this race together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church body in Philippi. So his encouragement to press on towards spiritual maturity is both personal and corporate. Paul's desire is that the church as a whole would be spiritually mature. Paul, even himself, we know, did not run his race alone. 
He had men like Timothy, Silas, Luke, and Epaphroditus to encourage him and minister to his needs. We too must encourage one another and help one another run the race well to the end. Like two runners who come alongside their limping friend in a marathon, throwing his arms over theirs, carrying him to the finish line, encouraging him with every step, you can do this. Don't let up. We're almost there. So should we act when we see a brother or sister slowing down and falling behind. This is the wonderful gift that God has given us in the local church. It's not about being first. It's not about being the farthest one ahead. It's about finishing together and gaining Christ our prize fully and finally. So let us, church, long for the day when we have reached the finish line and can enjoy our Lord together to the fullest extent. Would you pray with me? God, we have been encouraged by your word tonight. We have been renewed. Our hearts are energized to run full speed ahead to Christ. But God, tomorrow will come. And the stresses of life will begin to wear us down again. We will grow tired. But God, let us not slow or stop in our pursuit of spiritual maturity. Bring to our minds this text so that we can remember why it is that we strain towards our goal. God, give us the desire to gain more of the one who gave his all for us. The one who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let us be continually in awe of the gospel. We thank you, Father, that it is by the work of Christ alone that we can and will press on. God, let each of us think this way. Let this church, Trenton Baptist, be a church full of spiritually mature people. And that, God, for your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but you just heard his first sermon. (laughs) And I'm going to have to repent for jealousy because I wish that my first sermon were that good. Man, that was, that was a good... Brother, I just want to publicly affirm you on a couple of things. I mean, you, you dovetail doctrine with application really well. Uh, so, so praise God for that. And man, you just had a couple of gems in here that were worth, worth the price of admission. I mean, you know, because Christ has made me his own. Like, that's, that, makes it, that makes it all worth it. And, and, and you, you said Paul's is not a lazy and nominal Christianity. It's strenuous but then you immediately said, if this, makes, if this discourages you, remember that it's Christ who's holding on to you. Man, thank you for, for just weaving in an, a, a challenge with gospel hope that, that doesn't just crush us, right? So, man, well done on that. And, um, and, and you managed to encourage old people without calling them old people, you know? I mean, it, it just... Uh, High, high marks on everything. To the aged Christian, I'm going to have to, I have to use that one. Praise God, brother. Um, well, hey, uh, friends, you're going to want to encourage him. 
on the way out, uh, give him some, uh, some encouragement. Uh, but I've been blessed. Thank you for coming and sharing with us. Uh, let's pray, and let's pray together as a church that Nathan uh, would be encouraged uh, as he presses on.